Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Dan Lobby, and of course, we are talking NFL draft, and we have the whole squad together for this one. So let me introduce everyone that you're going to hear here over the next 20 or 25 minutes. We'll start with Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? A little bit tired, but it was a great night, and uh, looking forward to keeping it rolling. And of course, Scott Patsko joining us as well. Scott, how are you? Doing good. The Browns have a left tackle. Live from Minnesota, uh, little maybe a little less tired than the rest of us. I don't know uh, <laughs> the the time zone, but Ellis Williams joins us. Hey, how Scott Pimpelt at this time of night says I'm not tired yet. Every night, I'm not sure how he does it because uh, I'm feeling it too, Mary Kay. I hear you. <laughs> and we're we're getting weird tonight. We're adding one more to the mix. Doug Lay Maurice, uh, you're listening. If you're listening to this, you can't see it, but Doug has a a giant microphone in front of him right now. So, so Doug joining us as well. I've done the least amount of work of the, anyone here, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> All right. Well, it was a, bit, it was a busy, uh, busy start for Ohio State, Doug. That's true. Ohio State did a lot of work tonight, that's for sure. Okay, well, well let's get to it. The Browns, um, you, you know, this was my instant reaction post. This is what I wrote. They, they did what made sense tonight. And the draft Mary Kay really seemed to fall the way they wanted it to fall. And as I'm sitting there watching it, we see Andrew Thomas go off the board early and you think, Oh boy, this could get interesting. And then it really didn't get interesting. Everything kind of fell the way the Browns needed it to fall. It really did. I mean, they had uh, eventualities whereby all four offensive tackles were gone. And that is really why uh, that they had Trent Williams in their back pocket. If they needed to go to that, they would have. And it's not that, uh, that, they, that any one of those four would have been fine for them. I think they probably would have been happy with two of the four that we've talked about ad nauseum, maybe even three. But they didn't have to go to their back, back pocket. They didn't have to go to Trent Williams because the guy that they had rated number one overall at tackle fell to them in Jedrick Wills. They're thrilled about it. It went as well as they could have expected, and they are so happy about their pick. Yes, Scott, of all the people to sort of show their cards tonight, it was uh, it was Paul DePodesta. Andrew Barry kind of still played at Coy, and uh, even Kevin Stefanski didn't really come out and say where they had him ranked. But Paul DePodesta basically said, hey, yeah, this was our number one guy from the start. Well, I mean, if you want to believe him, we know he was at least number two, right? You know, one or two. Uh, 
You know, it's weird. Everybody was talking about Andrew Thomas uh, over the last week, and I know Mackay Becton got a lot of love in, in national mock drafts. But Jedrick Wills kind of fell through the cracks, I think. A lot of people probably thought worse, or Thomas would be the one of the top guys to go. And then you know, here comes Jedrick Wills. So now it's, you know, the question of can he switch sides? And the Browns seem to be happy with him. But, I mean, if you want to believe De Podesta that they got the top guy on their board, sure, what else is he going to say, you know? Well, I'm, I'm going to believe him, especially when, when Jonah Hill is, is playing him in the Browns version of the Moneyball movie. <laughs> Again, Ellis, um, to me, it, it just felt like, I mean, I never even thought Jedrick Wills would be there, honestly. You, you looked at mock drafts, you looked at how everything was falling. And I think this is one of those reminders that mock drafts are what they are, but you shouldn't always believe them. I, I, I just didn't believe that Jedrick Wills would actually be an option for this football team. Yeah, I thought he made a lot of sense at number four to the Giants, and that's why I'm going to believe Paul DePodesto when he says that Wills was their number one tackle because when you watch the tape, it checks out. Uh, this guy's feet move like pistons. I know if, if you're listening right now, you can't see, but I'm, you know, I'm firing away like this. His feet <laughs> are some of the best um, I've seen, and they look reserved for a, a basketball player on the perimeter trying to stay in front of someone. Uh, the way he moves at his size is as impressive as it gets. He's going to come in and be a pass pro professional right away. And then Kevin Stefanski talked about his upside in the run game. So it's both a safe and, quite frankly, a home run pick, if you ask me. I guess Becton has the most upside because of his size, but you can't really say anything wrong or bad about this pick. They, they, they got it right here. Yeah, Doug, I mean, it's the, marriage of, it's the marriage of need and best player. I mean, I think that's what you actually wrote tonight. It's, it's that marriage of those two things. I am a little bit on the Scott Patsko bandwagon of you suckers believe in everything Dee Podesta says just because he says Wills was their first tackle. But I think the point is right. This is – and maybe this is a, a fine line. I feel much better about the idea that they at least got one of their top two tackles instead of having to take maybe the third tackle on their board. And I just think that's potentially a huge disti distinction. And with what all you guys did and analyzing different things – this almost worked out it – was, it was the only pick they could make because Isaiah Simmons didn't fall. Jeff Okuda didn't fall. They weren't going to take a receiver there, I think. Like, that, that at the very least, one of their top two tackles was there. As much as we all thought that Andrew Barry probably had 15 different contingencies planned, in the end, this was so obvious. But, Alice, I think I agree with you. It's like it's obvious – but just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's not really good. Well, I think the other thing to consider here is they were surprised that there weren't more trades ahead of them. And, you know, there could have been a run on tackles. As you see, two, the two other guys went right after them uh, at 11 to the Jets and then 13. So, uh, you know, Worfs and Becton and then Worfs were gone right after that. If that little run had started earlier, you may have seen teams that really needed those tackles jump up and get them. But it really did fall their way, so they were lucky. And then I also think um, – I believe Paul DePodesta. There's just – there's too many – There's another one. <laughs> there's too many variables <laughs> here whereby, um, you know, the truth would come out at, at some point. If, if I just don't think that he would not be telling us the truth in that regard. Here, here's where I will be a cynic. And um, this is just something that I'm not sure I, I completely believe. You know, Andrew Barry said they wouldn't be pigeonholed into picking a tackle earlier in the week. And then tonight he said they were going to remain flexible, that 
you know, they didn't necessarily come into the night thinking they had to take a tackle. But I find it hard to believe that had they come out of tonight, barring Isaiah Simmons maybe being there at number 10 or, you know, maybe another defense, an Akuda falling down to number 10, something like that. I find it hard to believe that they wouldn't have been at least a little bit disappointed if they didn't come out of the tonight, tonight feeling really good about their left tackle position. I know Browns fans probably would have felt the same way. Ellis, you're, you're nodding your head. I, I just, I find it hard to believe that, yeah, maybe they wanted to be flexible and maybe they weren't going to be pigeonholed, but they had to get that left tackle if it was possible. Yeah, I think so. And on top of that, Dan, we got to remember that this is a 32, 33 year old GM making his first pick and momentum as much as it is, happens on the field it, it it sure can happen in a war room and just in a way you lead a franchise and I think Kevin Spancy said that on the call today telling Andrew Barry hey this is your headset this is your game day and for it to fall this way it's got to be a huge sigh of relief now the Browns can go into day two and day three with not having to hear anything about oh, did they make a mistake did they overthink it? it it's momentum in the simplest way I think it's got, I mean I'm thinking like even even had they taken Isaiah Simmons at 10, let's say that scenario would have, would have played out. I still think there would have been a segment of the fan base. And I think maybe even us on this podcast would have been saying, yeah, that's great, but still we got to figure out left tackle. And maybe, maybe we go to the Cabot plan and it's, and it's Trent Williams, but um, it it just, you know, I I really think whether they want to admit it or not, tackle had to be a priority tonight. You know what, Dan, I don't think that they were overly worried about it because they did have Trent Williams in their back pocket. They knew that if they they didn't get one of the guys that they wanted, and again, I don't think that they had all four of those guys ranked right up there before number 10. It wasn't going to fall that way. So let's say, for instance, that they had maybe three of them, maybe two of them, uh, where they would have taken them at number 10. Uh, They knew that they had a really good backup plan, and the backup plan included either Trent Williams, maybe something else, maybe trading down and ending up again with, you know, with, with one of the other tackles in this draft. So I, I do believe that they were not 100% locked into a left tackle at number 10. I think they needed to come away from today with their left tackle. I don't think they could have waited until tomorrow. Uh, I think they needed to make that happen today somehow. Uh, but I don't think they were wed to it having to be the number 10 pick. Yeah, I, sh- I shudder to think what Twitter would have looked like if they had passed on a left tackle at 10, because then if they still want to come away with a left tackle tonight, you're, you're trying to get back into the bottom end of the first round and you're, you're looking at uh, a tackle late. And by the way, no Ezra Cleveland tonight, no, no Josh Jones, which those are the two guys who I think were repeatedly talked about, you know, as, as late round tackles, but if you come away with someone at the bottom of the round, then you're, it's like picking a quarterback in the second round. You know, you're still, you're, you're wondering, is this really the guy, you know, he wasn't one of the top four. So even if they had done that and they had come away with a left tackle late, there'd still be a ton of questions about whether or not they really got a guy who, who can come in and, and be a starter from day one. And that's the big thing that they really avoided here. You know, th- there's questions about wills, but at least he's one of the guys that everybody agreed was one of the top tackles. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, but I think Mary Kay's right that there were so many options. I mean, the left tackle need was so obvious. They made this need, right? They addressed everything else in free agency, and they didn't do anything about left tackle. It's not like they were going to get end up in a spot where they were like, well, 
I guess we don't have a left tackle. Let's see if Kendall Lamb can do it. Like, they were going to figure it out. And I think to Mary Kay's point, they knew there were so many different ways to figure it out. I, I think I wrote tonight, they didn't, they, they didn't paint themselves into a corner with left tackle. They chose to go into the left tackle corner knowing we can figure this out a bunch of different ways. And I think in the end, you know, if Isaiah Simmons falls to 10 and you trade back into the end of the first round to get jo- – I mean, like you said, Scott, Jones and Cleveland are still there. Maybe you could have traded up in the second round to get one of them. So while I think this is a great outcome, I think Andrew Barry felt like we have multiple ways to get a great outcome at left tackle, and that's why they left it as the glaring hole on this roster. John Dorsey, John Dorsey did paint them into a corner at left tackle. That, that's who did that. But, but I'll, I'll say this, and I agree. I mean, I'm, look, if, if the alternate is trade for Trent Williams – you know, I think it's hard to argue with that as your alternative. I do think I'd be a little more nervous if the alternative was Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, because to me, you look at this top group, and it really, I feel comfortable penciling these guys in. And, you know, obviously, there's the whole right-left thing we can get into, but I feel comfortable with this top group penciling them in as your starter at left tackle. I'd be nervous going in there with a guy like Josh Jones, who is good, but is kind of just there because of his athleticism. Ezra Cleveland is, is a little bit of an unknown. Maybe it would have worked out. I, I just think, you know, this is all hypotheticals because it worked out perfectly for the Browns. But I, I would have been a little bit uncomfortable if that's where the Browns would have left themselves to so maybe grab one of those guys at the end of the first round or early on Friday. I just want to throw this point out there and see what you guys think. I do think our view of left tackle is skewed because the Browns went from a Hall of Famer for a decade to crap at yeah. left tackle and they had a hall of famer at left tackle for a decade and didn't win anything. So you can have a great left tackle. It doesn't mean you're going to win. I do think there's a world where your left tackle can just be pretty good. Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot of other things around him, you can get to the playoffs that way. It just so happens the choice in Cleveland went from Joe Thomas to Sean Coleman, Joel Batonio, Greg Robinson, who was that guy? I can't even remember his name, Mary Kay. You wrote the big Harrison. story. Desmond Harrison. Desmond Harrison. I mean, it's been a cluster. It went from Joe Thomas to a cluster. You know, Ezra Cleveland or Josh Jones would have been in between that. And I actually think if you're good at other positions, that actually would have been fine, too. Yeah, and I think that um, – I think they kind of knew that their worst-case scenario here today was to end up with a seven-time Pro Bowl <laughs> – left tackle that was basically what was going to happen I think if they didn't get and I don't know who how they had them ranked at this point but I think you know if they didn't get Jedrick Wills or maybe Andrew Thomas they were probably going to go down the Trent Williams road and then figure out what to do with uh with their number 10 pick okay let's talk this right left thing this is going to be a topic. I mean, it's uh, Jedrick Wills was asked a bunch about it. Kevin Stefanski was asked a bunch about it. You know, Andrew Barry has said he doesn't really differentiate between the two. They keep citing Bill Callahan and, and what he did in Dallas. Uh, Ellis, does the right to left thing worry you at all? Are the Browns downplaying this too much? It's a good question, Dan. Um, and unfortunately, I have to answer it both ways. Yes, they're downplaying it. Naturally, you have to. 
Um, you got to spill confidence into the kid and not overplay something that we're look, the, the, as I talked about, they don't even know when they're going to be able to get their hands on this kid and start, you know, con making him convert, uh, though they'll do it virtually. And Mary Kay, I'm sure you can talk more about that. Simply though, I don't think it's anything that Browns fans should worry about. Uh, will there be some growing pains? I'm sure. But Stefanski said it a few weeks ago when Jack Conklin came out of school, he was a left tackle, became one of the best right tackles in football. And now we're just going to see this same thing happen for Jedrick Wills just on the other side. I, so I think it's, it's not something we should scoff off and they're going to downplay like it's a seamless transition. Uh, but with a guy as naturally talented as Wills and as dedicated to his craft as he is, he's going to be in his books. He's going to be a, a technician with this. The switch is going to happen just fine, I think. You know, interestingly enough, I, I had a conversation with him about that. Uh, I was able to talk to him uh, on the phone about that very thing. And I was actually a little surprised that he admitted that it is, it is an adjustment and that it is something that you have to think about. Because not everybody that I talked to said that. Uh, I talked to other guys about the same thing. And, and some of those guys were like, no, it's no big deal. I go from, you know, I've played this side, I've played that side. It, it's no big deal but he admitted that it is more than just moving over four spots and standing in a different place and that you just have to make the mental adjustment and that your footwork is different and that your handwork is different. And, and he acknowledges that it's going to take him a little bit of time, but like you pointed out, Ellis, I think he's got the work ethic to do it. And not only that, he's got Joe Thomas to help him. Joe Thomas has already reached out to him before the draft at the behest of Andrew Barry. And then again, after the draft, uh, he's got Bill Callahan, who has helped Tyron Smith make the same transition, now a seven-time Pro Bowler. Uh, so he is surrounded with the support network to be able to do it. Uh, but, you know, even Nick Saban, I asked Nick Saban, and he said he has everything that he needs to make this transition, but I cannot honestly answer you and say, yes, he will be able to pull it off. Speaking of, answer. Go ahead, Scott. Okay, I was going to say, speaking of Joe Thomas, everything I know about left tackle, I learned from Joe Thomas. So uh, I wrote about him tonight, uh, basically what he told me a while back about that switch. Because at first I, we were talking about left tackles, and I said, well, should we even include Wills in this? And he's like, oh, yeah, definitely. Because he's pretty confident that it takes about three months to make that switch. For somebody like Wills, who's he's been a right tackle, like in high school he was a right tackle, uh, college right tackle so he thinks three months the the problem of course or the the monkey wrench in this is that he's doing this on his own he won't have rookie camp probably won't have OTAs for that um, but you know it's not like you're telling somebody to throw with the wrong hand or you're trying telling a pitcher to to pitch with a different hand it's basically just getting that push and pull and that memory to the other side of your body and you know he's obviously working on it but working on it by yourself I'm guessing is a lot different than working on it uh, uh, during uh, during a rookie camp. So that's that's the challenge here. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, the, the right and boring answer with like every draft prospect, if we're being honest, is I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe this guy's going to step in and be a great left tackle from the jump. Maybe he's going to take half a season or a year to, to get it. Maybe he's never going to get it. I, you know, obviously that's the boring answer. And, and you know, we, that's not how we want to talk about it. But you know, we'll find out that I do think that the nice thing here is left tackle is kind of left tackle, right? You know, yeah, there's scheme and there's, and there's all this stuff, but ultimately if you're the left tackle, you just got to block the guy in front of you. That, that's your job. And so 
even though he's not going to be able to work with the Browns coaching staff and he's not going to be able to, to go through their playbook. I mean, he'll have the playbook, but not actually like rep things in the playbook like that. He's still going to be able to get out there on some high school field somewhere and just rep left tackle over and over and over again and, and rep those steps and, and everything he needs to do. So this might be one of those positions where it's going to hurt to not have that off-season program and maybe have a shortened training camp if that's what we get to. But I don't think it's going to be devastating like it might be for, you know, some other position, say maybe a wide receiver or, or a quarterback it would be an issue. Maybe they can get away with some stuff here at left tackle if, if they can't actually get their hands on this guy. Is there a scenario for you guys that say it goes poorly and Wills doesn't look great at left tackle in year one? that like in year two, they tell Jack Conklin, hey, you're making a bunch of money. You played left tackle in college. You're the left tackle now. Like, is there a fallback position that even if this switch doesn't go well, they could still be fine? Yeah, we asked um, we asked Kevin Stefanski about that tonight. Uh, and and I, I asked him, you know, even this year, if Jedrick Wills is not ready to make this switch, and again, he's going to be doing it on his own. He's not going to be doing it going up, you know, against – some of the best, you know, going up against Miles Garrett in practice every day, at least for a while uh, that we know of. So if he doesn't have an opportunity to try to, to rep it sort of live enough, is there a chance that you would put Jack Conklin over at left tackle this season? And basically the answer was, well, Kevin Stefanski said he would be open-minded about that, but that's not the plan. The plan is for Jedrick Wills to be the left tackle this year. They firmly believe that he can do it. That's their story. They're going to stick with it until he says that he can't do it. Hey, everybody. I want to take a minute to tell you about Football Insider. What is Football Insider? Well, first of all, it's the only way for you to get involved in the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'll get to that in a second. But what it really is, is a service where we text you. I text you, Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis. We all text you big Browns breaking news instant analysis as it happens and it's a chance for you to connect with us in a different way you can cut through the clutter of twitter facebook instagram whatever social media it is that's out there you can cut through that clutter and interact directly with us we can respond directly to you it doesn't go to anyone else it goes directly to you via text message and every morning you get an exclusive newsletter texted to you with something, a little nugget or a little addition to a story that doesn't show up anyplace else. It's exclusive to our text subscribers. Just an example, uh, I, I wrote a little bit about how one Browns player is staying in shape here in, in this really weird offseason. That didn't show up anywhere except for our text subscribers. It's $3.99 a month, but there's a 14-day free trial. If you don't like it, you can cancel with one text, but uh, I think you're going to like it. Like I said, $3.99 a month is less than $0.14 cents a day. We had a big digital draft event. Uh, right before the draft. It was a lot of fun via Zoom. That was exclusive as well. There's just so many things that we do for our football insiders. So for more information, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the right side of the page. There's a box that'll take you to where you need to go to sign up. Or even easier, text me at 216-208-3965. Again, that's 216-208-3965. Let's look ahead real quick here. Uh, Let's look ahead to Friday. Browns have three picks as of our recording of this. Uh, And first off is number 41. And, (laughs) you know, it's funny. I I was thinking about this offseason, right? When when you sat down and looked at free agents, you said, 
man, the Browns should go at the Browns need a tight end. They should go after Austin Hooper. Oh, and they need a right tackle. They should go after Jack Conklin. They need a left tackle. They should draft that guy at number 10. It's just sort of been weird how that's worked. So, right, obviously, Ellis, the Browns are going to take a safety at 41, right? That's what they have to do. <laughs> yeah, bingo. I, I mean, that, you laid it out perfectly there, Dan. Um, I guess I can't say I'll be surprised if they don't because they've gone down this, this track now where if they go somewhere else, um, I guess what I'm saying is they have my trust. Plus, like you said, they got three picks. It uh, doesn't necessarily have to be safety. Could be linebacker, could be receiver. But we've identified the needs. And in some combination, uh, I'm assuming they're going to address those as you laid out. It's what they've been doing and what I expect them to keep doing. But at some point, Mary Kay, this team is going to surprise us. Well, not only that, I really don't believe that this is a team that is going to draft for need. I, I just really don't think they're going to do that. And it's just not the smart thing to do. And uh, really good general managers don't draft for need. Once again, I think that the first round uh, fell their way. They were able to marry up, as we have said, need and the best player available for them. Uh, right now, I, I don't think that they're going to be wed to doing that. I don't, th I don't think they're going to be like, oh, God, we need a safety now. I just don't, I just don't see it. Um, so I, I think they're going to find – the best player, the most highly rated player on their board at number 41. It's, it's the way to stock a football team. And so right now, we don't know what that's going to be. Um, you know, I, I, I've been saying, you know, at this juncture, I still like the really premium positions, like a pass rusher. So if there were a quality pass rusher left, uh, I might favor something like that. Uh, but once again, uh, I wouldn't be wed to any particular thing here. Uh, just whatever whatever comes their way. Yeah, I think they could end up in a similar situation that they had in the first round with all those left tackles falling to them. Uh, none of the safeties are off the board, if you don't want to count Isaiah Simmons. Uh, all those guys are still available. Um, so, you know, there, there's opportunity there. Uh, I think only one edge rusher has gone so far. Um, so those guys are still there. You know, if, if they're looking for, for one of those positions, uh, they, they obviously have, have, um, have options. But, you know, the further away you get from that first round, the further away you're getting from someone who, from the odds of getting someone who's going to come in and, and be a starter in one of those positions. So if, if they want draft, if they want or depth, if they want quality depth at safety, that might be their best bet. I want a receiver. There's receivers sitting out there. It's a need down the road. I agree 100% with Mary Kay. It's not about drafting for need. And, and I'm, it's the premium positions. The Dolphins took a corner yeah. late in the first round, and everybody was like, but they just gave big money to two corners. And it was like, yeah, well, this is their nickel corner. They're taking more corners. Take the positions that make you win in the modern NFL. Pass rusher, cornerback, receiver, offensive tackle. They're, they're set in a lot of places. But um, there are some guys I, – I, I've been in love with Michael Pittman. T. Higgins is still out there. I just think you can get a safety in the third or fourth round. They signed a couple guys in free agency. I just think a position like receiver or pass rusher is more bang for the buck in round two. Yeah, pass, pass rusher is the one I keep going back to if, if they're not going to take, uh, take a safety. And I'm telling you, I just keep getting bugged by this tight end thing. I really feel like – I don't know. I, I just keep feeling like at some point this team is going to take a tight end. Does it mean they're going to take one of the top guys here in, in the second round on Friday? Or are they going to get a guy on day three? 
I just don't necessarily believe that, that they're looking at this tight end group and are absolutely blown away by everything they have behind Austin Hooper. I think there's guys they like, but you know, I just keep thinking tight end could be one of those positions that we, we kind of look at at some point, maybe even on Friday and say, huh, okay. They took a tight end. Because I, not, think, I think Doug, like what you're saying, I think they view that as a winning position right now. You're not sold on David Njoku, are you, Dan? <laughs> Let's I'm admit not. it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, David. I hope you prove me wrong. <laughs> he still has a lot to prove. I think, I think regardless of how you feel about him, I, no, I, think, I think it's impossible to say exactly what he is. And we're going into year four now. Yeah. I, I just want to say this quick. I think there's a lot of truth to what you guys are saying and you're, sort of talking me into this now Mary Kay Doug um <laughs> the Vikings last year Stefan Diggs uh carried the team after Adam Thielen went down at wide receiver uh we don't really know how Jar if Jarvis Landry will be ready by week one of course everyone says he will but you just you don't know and the Browns were lucky last year uh offensively with staying healthy of course Baker Mayfield playing every game and though Jarvis and Odell battled injuries they were out there uh, you got to prepare for something that happened to Austin Hooper. And if all of a sudden you have one guy and then zero guys you have confidence in, uh, that's going to completely change the offense. So speaking this out loud, I think that makes sense. They're going to target tight end receiver. I, I could see them adding depth in those positions. Like you said, that win. I think who Dan really doesn't have confidence in here is Steven Carlson. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that's – do we really think the wide receiver is high on the Browns priority list when you look at how few times uh, Kevin Stefanski has more than two on the field? You know, we know that we're going to see multiple tight ends on the field and we know how many catches the Vikings tight ends got last season. Uh, I know they had injuries at wide receiver and that could have played some into to how they went about things. But um, do you want to use a second round pick on a wide receiver when you know that you know, over 80% of the time, two of them are going to be on the field. Yeah, I want to use it because I'm worried about when the guy I'm picking now is going to be one of the two on the field two and three years from now when they can't be paying a combined $30 million to Odell and Jarvis when they have other guys to pay. And I would rather plan for that now than be like, holy moly, we can't afford both Odell and Jarvis, but we have no other receivers. So that's the kind of thing of, Scott, you're right. You're exactly right for right now, but I'm try I, I just think the best organizations, it'd be a little early for the Browns. They're still trying to win right now, but you also need to plan for what's next. And if they can try to win, but also plan for how do we keep winning, I think a pass rusher receiver helps you do that. And I, I do think that this is a prime year to grab a receiver. And part of the reason is, because you can get that receiver, you can get really good value. A receiver that would normally uh, maybe go in the second round, I think you can grab him in the third round in this draft. And I, I love the position. I think it's a premium position, and I think they need uh, to start thinking about life after Jarvis and Odell, and they, they need depth and things like that. Uh, and most of the time, I would be like, grab one in the second round. But this particular draft is so good, so rich at receiver, I think they can afford to wait until maybe one of those two third round picks. All right. Don't sleep on Steven Carlson. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't sleep on Steven Carlson. All right. Well, that'll do it for our uh, Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are going to try and get one of these to you on Saturday morning as well so that we can recap uh, the second and third rounds 
it's going to get late fast tomorrow, guys. So we will, uh, we will try our best to get a podcast to you recapping those two rounds. Uh, but until then, for Doug, Ellis, Scott, Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.